And because Jesus is worthy, we have one mission. To move people towards the one who is worthy. That's what our life is to be about. That is what life in the kingdom is about. Moving ourselves, moving others closer from where they are at this point to Jesus Christ. And so we began last week kind of setting the setting the, the table for what is going to be, as Sean mentioned, I believe a great, a great year here in our midst. So we talked about our, our one mission, our two passions, our three expectations, also that the vision that we spoke of last week that you see there on the front of your glory, praise, and honor can be accomplished. And in order to do that, there are six values on which that vision rest. And uh, we did our best to put them on the glory, praise, and honor there for you so you can look at them. Um, might have to um, get a magnifying glass to see some of it. And, uh, I know the print is a little small, but we wanted to make sure that, that everything was there. Because there are six non-negotiable values that flow from the very character of God that give meaning to, to any of the words that you see up here on the stage. And it was exciting to look on social media this last week and to see different ones of you who had taken your picture in front of uh, some of our uh, banners, whether the ones that were up here on stage or out in our lobby. And, and you were putting those on social media and you were saying, you know what, we believe that God, God is for Chattanooga and as and God's people, we too are going to be for Chattanooga. One mission, two passions, three expectations. Because we see ourselves becoming more and more intergenerational. We see ourselves having more uh, young people, having more older people, all those in between. We don't see ourselves being just one generation as a congregation. We, we see ourselves that God is allowing us to become more and more multicultural. And we are embracing that and we are excited to see where that is going to lead us in the future. And because of all this, we want to relevantly engage our community with the grace and good news of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the answer. And so that's where our focus is, and that's where our, our vision is. That's where our passion is going to be. And we invite you to join us here at East Brainerd on this journey for Chattanooga. We invite you to partner with us as we seek to make an impact in our community because of the way that the Spirit of God will work mightily in our, in our midst. What we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series of lessons that are going to focus in on uh, many of the values that you see there uh, listed on your glory, praise, and honor. Those six values that form the, the foundation for the vision. And, and we're going to walk through and look at different, different scriptures to, to, to help us understand better what it is truly that God desires for, for his people. Um, I told you last week how that I had been uh, sick, had the flu uh, a couple of weeks ago. And... Um, because of that, uh, I just felt, I felt really, I just felt bad 
last week. It was hard to, uh, it was hard to get over the flu. Uh, my body kept being tired and I just didn't, just didn't have a lot of energy as I was trying to get over uh, the sickness. Some of you guys are experiencing that um, already. You know what you know what it's like. Your family's dealing with it. I hear the coughs that are going on. Um, and, and so I brought something, brought something with me today. Uh, how many of you need hand sanitizer? Anybody? <laughs> Would you like some? I, I've, I've got it. If you're one of those, you know, that, that loves to, to shake hands and hug, I've got the hand sanitizer for you. Uh, we are here for you as a congregation. We want you to love on people. Uh, but we don't want you to spread to spread germs. And the hand sanitizer that I have today, it says it kills more than 99.99% of germs. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm not worried about the 99.99 germs. I'm worried about that 0.01% that it doesn't kill. Because some of you got that. And this isn't going to help. But still, it's a good start. Here you go. You, you need some of that. There we go. Here we go, Suzanne. Go ahead. Take some. Take some. This is, oh, I know you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need some. Yeah, doctor. Go ahead. You need, you need a lot of that. There we go. Um, you know, the worst thing about being sick is not necessarily the feelings that you have and the way you kind of just want to um, hibernate. Uh, the worst thing is, is the way that other people treat you. You know, you tell somebody that you've been sick, and then all of a sudden they say, really? You've been, you've been sick, have you? And they want to distance themselves from you. When I had the flu, I, I ended up staying in one part of our home while the rest of the family stayed in the other. And, and I would FaceTime my family to, to see them. It was great. I would be able just to, you know, pull out my phone and, and I would FaceTime the kids and find out how their, how their day at school had gone and I would request different things, you know, oatmeal cream pies and, and they would be left at the steps, you know, at the bottom, um, the, the, at the bottom of the steps and I could walk down and, and pick them up and, and, and I would send text messages and let everybody know, dad is coming downstairs. That meant avoid the bathroom area. That meant get out of the hallway, let him have free passage, and, and there was Lysol that was being sprayed, and in fact, one day, the kids came home looking like this. I took a picture for you. Um, and, and eventually, you just start getting a complex, you know, because nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be around you when you're sick. Nobody wants to be around you when, when you have something that they think that they can somehow, can somehow catch. And, and it, you know, I started thinking, man, how true is that just within our society in general? Because every society has groups of untouchables. People that, in order to interact with them, we all feel as if we have to put a, a hazmat suit on and in order to go and become involved in their life. I started thinking about some individuals in scripture who had to live this particular kind of life. You read through scripture and you find that there were those who dealt with many different types of skin diseases. Oftentimes in your Bible you'll read of those who suffered from leprosy and the, the word that's used there in the text is a word that could describe the, the actual disease, leprosy, or any skin disease for, for that matter. But the first sign of a skin disease such as leprosy, it was regarded as a death sentence. 
And the Levitical law was very clear. It said the person who was afflicted with the infectious skin disease was to have their clothes torn. They were to go around with their, with their hair uncombed and unkept. They were to cover their upper lip, cover their mouth. They were to go around crying out, unclean, unclean. And as you look here at this particular passage, you see that they would remain unclean as long as they had the infection. And notice the end there. That they must live alone in a place outside the camp. The law was quite clear. You didn't touch. And the rabbis carried this even further. If a leper were to go into a home, that home was then considered to be unclean and in their view it was defiled and should be destroyed. If a leper was seen on the street, people were allowed, it was permissible to pelt them with eggs, even with stones, because to touch a leper was to become defiled yourself. Not just perhaps with the skin disease that the person was suffering from, but there was a ceremonial uncleanness that you could no longer be with the, the people. And so imagine that. Imagine the thought of never being touched again. You never feel the hug of a child. You never have your father put his arm across your shoulder. You're never able to reach out and grasp the hand of a friend. You can no longer embrace your spouse. And you live alone outside the camp. Do you know people like that? Have you seen those people? Individuals who maybe because of choices of their own, maybe because of decisions made by their family, maybe because of circumstances that they had nothing to do with, they're alone. They're outside the group. They don't sit at the table with the rest of the kids at lunch. They, they don't associate with you and your friends at the gym. They're the cat lady that nobody wants to go visit. They're that person that everyone talks about behind their back and asks questions, unwilling to go and ask them face to face. Alone and outside the camp. I think that's why the Gospel of Mark tells us that a leper came to Jesus and begged him on his knees and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I think it's, I think it's very interesting how that the man doesn't have any doubts as to whether or not Jesus could heal him. But he doubted if Jesus wanted to heal him. I mean, that's how unworthy those who had been defiled in this way felt about themselves. That was the extent of being told, no, you've got to be outside the camp. It's for the camp's protection. It's for the good of the people. It's for maybe even your own good. You've got to be separated. We can't be around you. He says, Jesus, I know you can. I just don't know if you will. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day chose what might be called a, a strategy of isolation. Lepers, Gentiles, tax collectors, and even women 
All of these were to be avoided like the plague. They would not eat with them, talk with them, work with them, or, or look at them. And there was one group of rabbis, called the, they were called the bruised and bleeding. And that's because they decided that they never wanted to have to look at a woman in order to avoid lust. And so if they saw a woman coming out of the corner of their eye, they would close their eyes, continue on their journey until they felt like they had gotten a good enough distance away from the woman. And so, of course, they began running into anything that was around. Buildings, walls, you name it. And so they were called the bruised and bleeding rabbis. For real. See, the idea behind the strategy of isolation was that sin and suffering were contagious. And the way to avoid it was just to separate yourself from the kind of people and places where you might be exposed. And so you live in spiritual quarantine. Now, now I get this. I have a 17-year-old daughter. I would love to put her in quarantine. Yeah, and those of you that have daughters, you understand what I'm talking about, right? And I remember telling Emily one time, I'm like, sweetheart, I wish that I could just wrap you in a bubble and protect you from, from all the different things that are going to come down, down your path. But I'm not able to do that. But I get it. I understand it. You see, throughout history, religious people have been attracted to the strategy of isolation. Avoid sinful people and live in religious quarantine. You don't drink, smoke, curse, or chew, and you don't hang out with people that do. That was the way that, that we decided it was best to, to grow up. But the problem comes is that we end up with a worldview that is us versus them. It's us versus them. And the quarantine becomes a greenhouse for the most destructive of sins. Pride and exclusivism and self-righteousness. You see, in isolation, love ends up dying. And humility and compassion and, and generosity, all of these things that come from the Spirit of God begin to be suffocated. And yet in Jesus, God makes it clear that he forever rejected the strategy of isolation. Because Jesus came to show how things were supposed to be. He was a rabbi. And a rabbi's job was to make sure that the law was understood and followed. And this man, as a leper, it was his job to make sure he didn't come around any rabbis. The last person you wanted to see if you were a leper was a rabbi. Because rabbis prided themselves on being unapproachable. They considered it a badge of honor. Because they were so close to God that common people, sinners, lepers, the unclean, should not be allowed to get close. And so the more religious a person became, the more unapproachable a person became. And I think we face the same problem. We know it's important to be holy. And so we begin to try to impress others with our theological knowledge, our moral purity, to reinforce our own sense of spiritual superiority. And we keep it up, and for too long, we're just unapproachable. And I don't know, maybe it's because, maybe it's because there was something within us that said, you know what, we don't want people to think that we condone what other people do. 
And we were so concerned that if we got involved in something or we went somewhere, if we were, were seen doing something in that part of town, that all of a sudden people would think, well, we must condone that action. We must condone that lifestyle. We were so concerned about not wanting to appear as if we condoned that we didn't realize that what we did was appear as if we just didn't care about those who were outside, who were alone. And yet Jesus was just the opposite. He was eminently approachable. Not just with lepers, but with on a regular basis, prostitutes, tax collectors, Gentile pagans. We've said before, people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. They, they didn't go to synagogue with him, but man, they, they enjoyed eating a meal with him. See, I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is this. Am I becoming more or less approachable? See, when we talk about the values, the values that stand behind our vision... And we read things about how that we're going to value people and we're going to value relationships and we're going to value grace. Then there should be a point in time where we look at ourselves and you say, you know what? I see myself becoming more approachable for others. It looks like that I'm actually for people. That I desire relationship. That I want to be able to share grace. So how are you doing with the people in your world? Can your spouse say anything to you? Do you sometimes pause to put your hand on the shoulder of someone that you work with just to let them know that you're glad that they're there? Are you getting better at listening to people without judging them? How approachable are you? Are you known as the individual that anybody can come to or... Have you developed the reputation over time of the person that just needs to be avoided and needs just to be kept at arm's length? You see, when you value people, when you value relationships and grace, you give others the freedom to approach you. Churches have an open door policy and say all may come to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you are, when you, when you value the, these things, when, when these are things that are just rock solid in your life, then you can't help but be filled with indignation when you witness the exclusion of another human being. When there's another person who is being left out, when there is another person that says, no, you, you can't be a part, when there is another person that is being told, no, you don't belong here, there is an indignation that should rise up within you. It happened to Jesus. After the man says, look, if you want to heal me, you can. It says that Jesus was filled with compassion. And some translations try to get to the core of what causes that compassion. That, that word in the Greek that, that comes from your, your belly, your, your gut. It's something just rises up within you. And it's an indignation that fuels your active compassion. Where you see the situation and it bothers you so much that you have to act and do something. Jesus was indignant. He saw what the sickness had done to the man. He knew what the law was 
He understood the reason behind it. He understood trying to protect the rest of the people within the community. But he saw what sickness had done to this man and how it had stripped him of his dignity, how it had taken away his relationships. And there was compassion that began to boil up from very deep within his gut. And he reached out and he touches the man. He says, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. Now, don't rush past this and miss the fact that Jesus touched the leper before he healed the leper. He touched him while the leper was still unclean. Now, this would have scandalized anybody who would have watched. The best thing for Jesus to have done was just to say the word, have the leprosy leave, and then reach out and touch the man. Put on the antibacterial hand sanitizer. Let's get everything clean. The 99.9%. Let's make sure that nothing can touch Jesus. That's not what he did. Jesus did not need to touch the leper to cleanse him. But the man needed Jesus touched to know that he was clean. And guys, for those of you who have never been on the outside, you don't know, I don't know what this is like. If you've never been the one who was always chosen last. If you've always been the one who got the job. If you've never been the one who had no place to sit at lunch. If you've always been the one that it seems like everything just happened for you and, and you just had nine lives and you could do no wrong. We don't know what it is like longing just to have someone to touch us and to let us know that, that we're included. You see, the miracle of the touch is that Jesus was willing to share another person's suffering in order to bring about the healing and in a contagious world, we learn to keep our distance. Because if we get too close to those who are suffering, we might become infected with their pain. And it may not be convenient, and it may not be comfortable, but only when we get close enough to catch the hurt, will they be close enough to catch our love. See, you can't show the love of Jesus unless you're with other people. C.S. Lewis wrote, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin in the midst of your selfishness. But in that casket... Safe, dark, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. See, it's only when people are touched in their brokenness that healing comes. And today, there will be people in your world longing, waiting for, a compassionate touch. 
And will I be the one to give it? Will you be the one to put your arm around a shoulder or a friend? Will you take the hurt of someone who hurts? Will you embrace a child? Jesus sent the man on his way. He sent him away with a warning. And he might sound strange. He says, I don't want you to go tell anybody. Instead, I want you to go to the priest. And I want you to offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. Now, here's why this is so important. And this is probably the coolest part of this entire passage. And we think it's great. All right, Jesus touched the man even when he was still unclean. And he was indignant and he, and he had compassion. And we can, we can wrap our minds around this. But the real heart of the matter comes right here in verse 44. Because not only did Jesus heal the man, but he wanted to make sure that this former outcast was restored to the community. You see, we saw earlier where the Levitical law said, if you have a skin disease, then there's a certain way that you have to conduct yourself. You have to be outside. You have to yell, unclean, unclean. You cannot be with the people. But once your disease had been healed, well, then there was a two-week process of, of sacrifices and special rituals that the individual would go through to, as they would watch and wait to see if the sickness really had left them or not. It was a way also of, of cleansing the person so that they might be able to come back and rejoin the community of faith. And Jesus urges the man not to tell anybody about what happened, but instead go and begin the process of communal restoration. You see, his healing was a means to an end. Yes, the man longed to have the disease that had racked his body gone. He wanted to be healed. He wanted to be cleansed. But more than anything, he wanted to be embraced. He wanted to be included. You see, a compassionate touch is but a means to an end. Because God doesn't want anyone to be isolated and alone. Jesus urges the man, go and begin the process so that you can once again be among family. Go and, and start the rituals. Go and offer the sacrifices so that you can once again go be with your children. So that you can be in synagogue. So that you can participate in all the life that is present here within your town. Go, start that now. Don't go tell everybody how it happened and who. You just go and start getting back with the people of God. I love that. Because it's a reminder to me to have my eyes open for those who long to be included. You see, allowing others to feel valued and loved, that's what we're talking about when we say that we value people and that we value relationships and that we value grace. It's about inclusion. And 
when you think about what this would look like, and I know people were asking me last week, they were like, man, with this mission and passion and expectation, what's that going to look like for a church? And, and what's coming down the road? And, and what kind of ministries are coming? Look, I don't want you to think so much during this time about what's going to take place necessarily within our midst as a body. I want you to think about these things in the context of your everyday life. How will these values impact you? Oh, they're going to have an impact on our congregation. And they're going to have an impact on the way in which, so to speak, we do business here. But what about for you? What about in the context of your life? These values must first impact your home. They must first impact your ball team, your classroom, your, your lunch table. Our congregation cannot look and act differently until I look and act differently. Our congregation can't change until our youth group changes. Our, our congregation can't be more outgoing until you are more outgoing. Our congregation can't be known for people and relationships and grace until you are known for people and relationships and grace. It's not about coming up with some great strategy. It's not about uh, kicking off some wonderful ministry. It's about the men and women who call themselves the people of God here in this place saying, you know what? We are for people and we are for relationships. And we are for grace. The question is not, can you? The question is, will you? Isn't that how the man approached Jesus? It wasn't, can you heal me? It was, will you? It wasn't, can you touch me? It's, will you touch me? It wasn't, can you restore me to my family? It's, will you restore me? And the question is going to come to you this week. Will you eat with me? Will you sit with me? Will you include me? Will you dance with me? Will you talk with me? Will you be seen with me? Not can you value people, but will you? Not can you value relationship, but will you restore relationship? Not can you value grace, but will you share grace? The proof is in the freedom that you give others to approach you. It's in your willingness to touch those who others just don't want to touch. And the desire to restore what sin has taken away. There was a guy that grew up not far from here. Some of you actually might know him. He's a country music singer named Mark Willis. If you've ever been to um, the Cleveland area, he grew up there, also up on uh, Blue, in Blue Ridge. And he had a song a few years back that I thought really wraps up the idea of what we're talking about this morning. He says, I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call the geek. A little girl who never smiles because I've got braces on my teeth. And I know how it feels to cry myself to sleep. 
I'm that kid on every playground who's always chosen last. A single teenage mother trying to overcome my past. You don't have to be my friend, but is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. I'm the cripple on the corner that you've passed by on the street. And I wouldn't be out here begging if I had enough to eat. And don't think I don't notice that our eyes never meet. I lost my wife and little boy when someone crossed that yellow line. And the day we laid them in the ground is the day I lost my mind. And right now I'm, I'm down to holding this little cardboard sign. So don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. I'm fat, I'm thin, I'm short, I'm tall, I'm deaf, I'm blind. Hey, aren't we all? So don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. Touch me. Father, will you give us the eyes to see, the hearts to feel, and the hands and feet of action that we will be filled with compassion because we realize that because all people matter to you, then Father, all people matter to us. And because you desire for people to experience the joy of relationship, then we will be rebuilders of relationships. And because you have been so free with your grace that we will not hoard it to ourselves. Father, thank you for the way that you've touched us. For the way that you've had others call out our names. For the way that you have worked so in the lives of friends and family members, complete strangers who have reached out to us during times of great need. Those who have welcomed us back home, who have restored us to relationship, who have provided us with forgiveness, who have made us feel loved. May more and more will we be that type of person. So Father, as we pray right now, I know that different ones are thinking about different people right now. And so I just want to ask that you would give each one of us, each one of us the courage to be that individual of compassion this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow.
that we might truly be your hands and feet. And that the people who need a compassionate touch in this city will receive it from us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Guys, I appreciate you so much being here and for your kindness and the way that you've listened this morning. I pray that the message that we've shared together has in some way reached down inside and that the Spirit of God will use it this week as you, as you come in contact with, with so many different ones. I pray that, that you will be used by God in a way that perhaps you never expected. We want to give an opportunity as we begin our time to close out for anyone who might be here today who would, who would love to confess their belief that Jesus is truly the Son of God and depend solely upon him for salvation. We'd love to rejoice with you if you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, having your sins washed away, being touched by God in a very special way. If that is something that is on your heart, we'd love to talk to you about that. A couple of our elders will be down here in the front. There's also one of our elders who will be in the back in the lobby area near our prayer room if you'd like to have just a time of private conversation and discuss any of the things that have been talked about today. We appreciate again so much you being here. And it is our prayer that together that God will continue to change us. One mission, two passions, three expectations for Chattanooga. Let's stand and give him praise.